You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely partner, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey. Now, before we get started, I want to shout out our sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Use code Dr. Jess to save on at-home STI testing, hormone testing, other health tests. Go to letsgetchecked.com and please enter code Dr. Jess to save and let them know that you learned about them here. Now, today we are joined by Shadeen Francis, a marriage and family therapist with a specialty in sex therapy and social justice. She's here to talk about her work and how you can learn to open up and be more vulnerable and how this can improve your relationships and change your life. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you are Toronto-born, like me. You are a transplant, and you're, you're in Philly now. So what brought you into the field of sex therapy? Uh, so the, the short version of the story was that my original plan uh, was to join the X-Men, uh, and it, it felt like uh, a reasonable extension uh, to then uh, get really into the world of sex. Kind of my my link was through Sue Johansson, Talk Sex with Sue. Uh, and I came across her work at a time when I was really realizing that there weren't open dialogues, there weren't places where people could go to have these conversations. And someone had called in to her show. I was, this was probably the summer before seventh grade. Uh, and as a pragmatic kid, I'm realizing like, shit, I might be a normie. Uh, so my powers like were not manifesting uh, and I'm thinking okay well let me have like something I can be working on in the meantime while I wait for my obvious mutancy uh, mm -hmm. to become apparent to everyone else uh, and someone called into her show and said thank you so much for your work you saved my life so for me I'm like oh great I'll just do that like whatever <laughs> whatever it is she's doing obviously is important she was like waving around like a big uh, purple like butt plug and I'm like oh okay well whatever that is helps people. So I should probably do that. So the X-Men didn't call? Not yet. I'm I'm still hopeful. And so, you know, if you're out there, Professor Xavier, I'm ready. Has your superpower shown yet? Like, has it come forward? So I actually had one of the most, like, transformative nerd experiences of my entire life. I was doing what all nerds do and just reading, like, wiki entries about X-Men characters on the weekend one time. Uh, and realized as I was reading some of the characters' powers, empathy is a superpower. And I just remember saying that like out loud in that moment and just like tears just flowing down my face because I'm looking at my childhood self and I'm, I, was, I happened to be in my childhood bedroom at the time. And so, you know, I had a, a childhood picture of myself on the wall and I just remember like saying it out loud and like looking at myself and being like, oh my God, we made it. Like we did it. And it just felt it just felt so real that the making space and the witnessing of people's emotions really does save people's life. I just want to know how old you were when you had this revelation, because <laughs> I don't know that I would ever have that, you know, like like to sit there and think we did it. I just don't know, know that I would ever feel that way. Like that's so deep to me. And the empathy superpower, when you really think about it, it's, it really is an incredible thing to offer, to have. Like, it's, it creates connections. Like, it's, it's powerful. Absolutely. And it, it could change the world. If empathy was a skill that was taught as diligently and as universally as, 
you know, other languages or math, empathy would really change the way you interact with everyone, with the person at the grocery store, with the person who fixes your car, your siblings, the love of your lives, love or love, with your children. And it's interesting because I wonder how many parents use that word, teach that word, and the associated skills to their kids. Because you say that you were a kid or you were young when you realized that empathy is a superpower. And I'm sitting here wondering at what point I even learned that word. I don't recall it being a part of our English courses and our spelling tests. You know, it was it was hidden from us like like the clitoris. I never learned that word either. And and see how transformative that is for a lived experience. And you know, I I have a lot of empathy to use the word. Um and compassion for the parents who don't or un- are unable to teach it to their children because also they didn't learn it either, right? I'm the child of immigrants who were the children of immigrants, right? And along the way, you just lose the privilege to be able to spend a lot of time centering your emotional experience. But it does transform the way you can actually inhabit the world. And so for me now to be a marriage and family therapist who the center of my work often is around sex, so much of what people are coming in to talk about has directly to do with their feelings and people get sort of trapped in the mechanics But the problem is always a feeling, right? The thing that I often will say is that the worst thing that could happen to you is a feeling. And so when I think about the experience of being vulnerable, the worst of anything ever is always how you feel, right? And if you are able to develop a sense of confidence that no matter what feeling comes up for me, I trust myself to be able to get through it, the world doesn't have a lot that can stop you anymore. Right. And that's so much tied to your sense of self and your self-esteem. And, you know, we often differentiate between self-esteem and confidence and confidence being the belief that you can do something and self-esteem referring to how you really feel about yourself. So self-esteem is so tied to vulnerability. And I want to talk about vulnerability. What does it mean to be vulnerable in the positive and perhaps, you know, the negative sense? Yeah, I think vulnerability what at least the way that i use it is really just the willingness to be impacted right that that is kind of how i operationalize it the the willingness to be emotionally impacted and i belong to a culture right if we think about the west or if we think about what it means for me to be a person of color where strength is celebrated right i also identify as a woman right and so there are lots of ways in which you get sort of the recurring message right you're so strong right and i used to live into that i used to Mm -hmm. love that right i'm Mm -hmm. I'm a boxer i was a uh, martial artist for a period of time i was an acrobat at a period of time i was really working hard to keep my skills sharp by the way people for the (laughs) x-men this was not all just for pleasure this was let's just be clear that you will shut down the practice (laughs) oh yeah if the x-men people call i love my clients and so i'll like hold like a small caseload but also like i'll be working for the X-Men. Okay, so besides empathy being your superpower, <laughs> what would your other superpower be? Oh, goodness. Um, truthfully, like, I have not been picky. The thing that I would, like, privately wish for was that it was, at the time, I was like, oh, I just I just don't want something that's, like, not cool, 
right? Like there's some powers that like are not super marketable. At the time I was thinking very much about like the character Toad and I was like, oh, like all he has is an awesome tongue. Like now being a sex therapist, I'm like, actually I would would totally be fine with that being my power and I could totally sell that, Uh, right? But at at this point I'm, I'm willing to be open I'm willing to be open. You look like so an idea. So I have a legit question about yeah. superpowers. Yeah. This is a survey to you and everyone okay. listening. If you could choose between flying at the speed of light oh, or God. teleporting, which superpower would you choose? Oh, I would absolutely teleport. Really? Absolutely. So, but teleporting, you can't keep teleporting and floating. You can only teleport one place and that's it. Okay, so you, what Brennan's trying to do is use you for three, free therapy right now because <laughs> we're always arguing about would, would you pick flying or teleporting and we just have to agree to understand. And I'd fly the speed of light straight she, up. <laughs> you know, do you know Shamira, sexologist Shamira? Mm-hmm, yeah. She's a Baton Rouge-based therapist who was on the podcast recently. And she's she, such a good way with words. She does. And she was saying, don't agree to disagree, agree to understand. So I understand your ridiculous perspective. Yeah, I, understand, <laughs> I understand that you're wrong. Like, you know, I'm just. So saying. when we wrap this show, I'm going to gift the podcast a complimentary couple session so that we can process this, this further. Well, I'm already happy because she's on my side. Yeah, come on. I'm not even going to get into all the specifics as to why speed, flying at the speed of light is better. But you know what? It's all good. Yeah, I, I, I agree just, to understand. I would just say for wrong. me personally, part of my consideration would be one, just like the time difference. Like, yeah, speed of light is like instantaneous. But also I'm thinking like if I'm flying that fast, like what is that going to do for my hair? That's exactly what I said is going to mess <laughs> up my hair. I guess hair. so. But I'm also thinking we're going to teleport to like the like the moon. Yes. Yeah. But I'm like, you're going like to teleport there. In the moon, and truthfully. then like you can't survive. And I'm thinking about, okay, well, you if know. If teleporting is a real thing, we can make it a survival, so anyway. survivable thing. Plus, We're like, if you, like, interact topic, with, like, but... a bug, like, just, like, the splatter, I don't know. Yeah, you got a bug in your eye once when you were on your motorcycle, and it felt yeah, like you were blinded. Felt like somebody threw a rock in my eye. So, anyway, we'll, go back, we'll go back to this topic of vulnerability. What do you do if you feel that you're avoiding being vulnerable or that you mm-hmm. have a partner who refuses to open up and be vulnerable? I think it's often easier for us to notice in other people than ourselves, Um you know, as as we, you know, before we started the really important conversation about superpowers, um, you know, acknowledging that many of us um, exist in the world, really priding ourselves uh, around strength. And a lot of what we have taken strength to mean is impenetrability, right? Lack of vulnerability, right? That vulnerability is weakness, is the way that many of us understand it. And so oftentimes when we are distancing ourselves emotionally from an experience, it can feel like I am doing the thing to get over this and that's language that people often talk about and so if you are finding yourself sort of having narratives along those lines right I I just I'm just not going to think about it right I'm gonna I just want to get over this I'm just going to be over it Uh, and you fill that energy or that time with stuff right so drinking or smoking or you know, binge watching TV or just doing everything you can to distract and distraction can be helpful and useful and it actually isn't acknowledging the emotional experience and you can notice that more easily often in other people, right? Seeing, you can witness someone actively working to not go through the process that they're in. And some of the, some of the shift has to be about even just like the awareness of that for yourself and the question as to why, right? What is keeping me from being in this experience, 
because we actually don't get over anything. As a therapist that works a ton with trauma, it can feel like a high conflict thing to say, but we don't get over anything. To be beyond it, we have to go through. But you, I, I love this. I love this. This is so insightful for me. But you, you believe that you never actually get over something. You think you just move beyond it. So is there a, is there a point at which people achieve that state where they're like, mm -hmm. yes, this is behind me. Like, is there something that you look for to understand that you can move forward? Yeah, ab absolutely. And and some of it rests in the in the semantics, right? That I absolutely think that we can have experiences that feel closed and completed and resolved and no longer burden us or weigh us down. But if you were to imagine, I have a problem here and you imagine the problem as maybe like a rock or a hill that I need to climb and you say, you know, I'm going over it, right? That all of the meat, right? What the actual issue is, is buried inside. Right? We actually have to go through the process. Going around or jumping over doesn't actually allow you to get the lesson or to really have the experience. And so when I work with folks, we're creatures of habit. We're very, very simple. Right, Our whole lives are patterns and routines. And so when people come into my office and are talking about pains that they've experienced or ways in which they're stuck, it's the same problem over and over again. Right, and it just shows up in different ways, right? We tend to run into one or two obstacles and until we're able to develop the skill around navigating what it means to be in conflict about a particular topic that we're both passionate about or what it means to have the feeling of shame and not allow that to really interrupt our ability to accept positivity from other people, right? Whatever your particular pattern of obstacle is, it will continue to replay itself until you're willing to not just, again, jump over it, but to do the work of going through. But because so many of us, one, we're taught to be strong as in we, we cannot be impacted. So you, you actually aren't even receptive to learning, right? If we're not able to be vulnerable, learning is a vulnerable process, right? I actually have to be open and willing to be impacted by new information. But also because we see everyone else being strong, we don't even know who we can go to for support. We don't even know who could be empathetic and say, I see you and I've been there or I'm with you. That might not be my experience right now, but I know what that feels like. And as a therapist, that is the bulk of the work, right? I'm a shitty magician. I tell everyone like how, how to do everything. I'm like, oh, I learned this. You should know it too, <laughs> right? That the most healing and transformative part of my work, I think, is the ability to sit with someone and make space for the messiest, most painful, you know, I'll use the word ugly, right? Not my judgment of them, but their judgment of themselves. The ugliest parts of their stories and to just bear witness and say I, I i hear you and i see you and would you say every person struggles with being vulnerable because it's such a cultural norm to try and be strong and because we locate power and strength in not being vulnerable i would say as as a culture it is unsurprising to me that it comes up so often, right? I, I can't say every person, because I know tons of people who are so beautifully and powerfully vulnerable, even amidst, you know, this really difficult sort of 
interlaced system of oppression that we that we are living in and have been living in um but also the world is really is also very hard for vulnerable people as well because they're contending with all the rest of us who are still trying to figure ourselves out so many of us don't even have language to describe what we feel because no one has ever given us the space or the opportunity to put it into words can you help us with that now for folks listening i think there's probably a broad range of people people might say oh yeah i really do struggle with opening up and being vulnerable and letting my guard down and other people might say yeah i'm really good at that already Mm. and everyone in between and i'm sure a lot of people are thinking yeah my partner does that and Mm -hmm. i'm always trying to bring it back to yourself because as you said it's easier to recognize in someone else than in yourself what language can we begin with are there some sentences we can complete from ourselves to better understand ourselves so that we aren't climbing over the rock even if we're just working our way into the surface that first sedimentary Mm -hmm. layer yeah what language would it be to to better understand our own vulnerabilities yeah you know i often ask people you know in this moment how do you feel? Because most of us end up being very cerebral in, mm-hmm. in the Western world in conversation, um, people then will sort of respond with some kind of narration of things they're thinking about mm-hmm. or experience that they're having. You know, I feel like today is, or I'm feeling that, right? And I'm challenging to people around that in that, when you are checking in with yourself about how you feel you need to respect your own requests and actually follow up with a feeling word well what is a feeling word right it's an emotion and so think about the way you talk about emotions with children right that there are all of these different facial expressions right what feeling is that whether that's happiness or sadness or anger or disgust Right. Or surprise. And depending on what your vocabulary is, you can get really rich and nuanced. So all of us, you know, I'm a logophile, a person who loves language. So all of us, you know, nerdy people who are just invested in getting really, really granular with it. Right. We could talk about the difference between being angry and upset and furious and enraged and perturbed. And, you know, there's this whole gradient that we can experience and still communicate really, really nuanced emotional experiences. But it really starts with being able to ask yourself the question and just check in, right? How am I feeling right now? How do I feel? And then again, follow it with a feeling word and when you get that message, because your body will, will show up for you, it might not happen right away if we're out of practice because it's a skill that we build. But as your body starts to let you know, this is the feeling, right? Do you have the space to be also a little curious about that? Right? Anxious. I, 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 wonder, I wonder why. And give yourself permission to feel that. Because yeah. many of us have been conditioned to show up for other people and not for ourselves. So for example, if somebody were to ask me how I'm doing, I always say I'm doing great. Mm -hmm. And so that might be something I put out to the world, but if I'm doing that to myself on my own and Mm -hmm. always pretending that things are great, as you said, I'm just letting all those rocks fall around me. Absolutely. And never going through them. And I'll, I'll highlight it, you know, insofar as, you know, since we brought it up, right? The question was, how are you doing? Right. And you maybe you are doing great. You Mm -hmm. do a lot of great work. You do a lot of great things for people. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's you could do a lot and still not feel very good. Mm -hmm. 
And that's how we miss each other all the time because you might not have been being dishonest. I am doing great. Right. Right. Oh, and that's it's so interesting. And that's a subconscious absolutely. piece on my part it's, because I it's often small, do talk but it about makes a what difference. I'm doing. Yeah. And so do you think that's an important question to ask the people with whom you have intimate relationships, the difference between how are you and how are you feeling for your kids, for your partners, for your close friends? It It is an invitation Right. And for the person who has been waiting to be invited or the person who never even knew that that was a space that they could enter into, mm-hmm. right, that it's such a beautiful and simple gift that we can offer that that doesn't actually take a lot for us to ask, how are you feeling? And to really kind of hold that. No, I asked you how you feel. How do you feel? I, I love it because I think it's easy to fall into this fake it till you make it sort of approach where people mm-hmm. ask you, how are you doing? Well, I'm great. And it's like, well, positive talk reinforces positivity and I'm going to change my mindset and all this stuff. And sure. listen, I, I think that there is validity in having a positive outlook. I think it's very important. I also think from what you've just told us, the importance of recognizing how you actually feel because I've caught myself recently, you know, different times through my life, Going about my day, not being vulnerable, being strong in so much as to support the people around me and support the people that I'm working with. But when I've finished my day and I've come home to my partner, Mm. you have felt like you've been hit by a truck Mm. because inside you may not be feeling great. And it's not that I mean, not suffering from depression. I've been lucky in that respect. I, I don't think that I am. You know what I mean? But you go about carrying yourself with strength to support and um, encourage the people around you. Mm-hmm. But to feel inside a little differently is hard. So I think that that question is very poignant and it's very um, important to ask. Yeah. And probably important to ask people um, that extend outside of your immediate maybe sphere, right? Like it's one thing for me to ask that of Jess because we see each other every day and probably I'm much more willing to be vulnerable and open with her. Mm -hmm. But to ask that of some of the people that I'm friends with or that I work with, I think goes a long way. And that element of vulnerability, I think when I look at things, even from a a business perspective, when I express Mm -hmm. vulnerability to, for instance, a client, Mm -hmm. the client, my, my, my knee-jerk reaction is to think they're going to look at this as weakness, mm. as we've discussed. Yeah. When in reality, when I express that human element, they actually respond very positively to me. And I'm not saying, oh my gosh, I've got nothing for you. It's What I'm saying is, for instance, you know what? I made a mistake doing that. I'm very sorry. I'm taking responsibility for it, and I'm going to fix it. I'm here to find solutions. As opposed to lying about the mistake to come from a position of strength. I'm actually saying, I, I'm wrong, I did yeah. it, I'm sorry, and you know, let's fix the problem, or I'm gonna fix the problem. Yeah. And everything works out, oftentimes, way better. And Absolutely. I strengthen that relationship. And it, it applies in all relationships. It's dis- disarming when someone else shows vulnerability. In fact, it encourages other people to express that vulnerability as well. And it's interesting, because when we think about being emotionally threatened, we are hardwired to flee, mm-hmm. to freeze, to disassociate, yeah. to withdraw. 
when something feels emotionally threatening. But I was thinking about physical vulnerability Mm -hmm. and how in the modern developed world, we, those of us often living in the West with privilege, we actually seek out physical vulnerability. We go hella skiing. We go bungee jumping. We relinquish control every time we get in an Uber or an airplane. So we, and maybe an Uber isn't that thrilling, but many of those high adrenaline sports that many of us seek out, those are ways of putting ourselves in a physically vulnerable vulnerable position because it's thrilling, because it's thrilling to enjoy the risk, the threat, and come out on the other side either feeling unscathed or even feeling stronger. So I wonder if we could look at emotional Mm -hmm. vulnerability in a similar way to say when we push ourselves to be a little bit more vulnerable, to open up a little bit more, it leaves our lives a little more exciting, a little Mm -hmm. different. It changes even the way we think, the way we feel, the way other people respond to us. Yeah. So how do you get let's say a couple working together, I can see that clients will open up with you and you have a way about you where I'm I'm sure everybody opens up with you (laughs) to the point that you're like, just stop. (laughs) You're probably no longer asking people, how are you feeling? (laughs) Unless you're billing them. But a couple who has difficulty showing vulnerability. Now, Mm -hmm. it may be a power struggle. It may be stuff from their past and their childhood. Is there an exercise they can do? Because I, I love the theory and I mm-hmm. always want to think about what can people try on their own? Yeah, and I, I want to move into that. I want to reflect really quickly on on things I feel like might be meaningful to highlight about what each of you shared. I think that many of us were taught um, sort of this untruth that, you know, if I am strong if I am unemotional I will be more effective right I'll be better at business right but I get brought into corporations all the time to talk about these air quotes soft skills right that the ability to be vulnerable is an important leadership skill Mm -hmm. and it makes you trustworthy right that I have so my father is an engineer so I talk math as if it's just a thing that everyone talks about normally um And so uh, a formula that I I offer for folks around trust is trust equals transparency plus consistency over time, right? That transparency piece is your willingness to be emotionally expressive. And so we actually can extend that and reflect it back to our own selves by allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with ourselves and learning and trying new things. So some of the physical things that you had mentioned are vulnerabilities right that we feel awkward we're inexperienced we're new it's challenging right play is a vulnerable experience Mm. right and so for me that's what boxing is boxing is play and because the work that i do while i get to access empathy it is from a place where i don't get to be expressive in the ways that i would authentically be right that if someone tells a difficult story that you know as I empathize, it shifts the energy if I'm like sitting there like bawling hysterically, right? That's not probably what you want from your therapist, um, right? And so boxing is a place that I can show up and just like emote, right? And so if I'm like hysterically laughing as I'm like doing these burpees, right? Like nobody cares to do the burpees, right? And so as I talk with folks about opportunities, you know, for how to do this. First of all, the the folks who struggle the most are the people who, one, have learned through truthfully trauma, right, that 
the world is unsafe and so I cannot be open and so you know we always have to honor right that a lot of us learn this in a very hard way either because we tried to be vulnerable or we never got the chance to start to learn how to trust ourselves to be impacted right and then often people are reinforced for that right so they have careers right they have part we choose partners that reinforce that right we get messages all the time um and so if you're in a partnership or you're hoping to cultivate a partnership that makes some space for that you know i like to have people there's an activity um called emptying the jug um it's by a corporation called pairs p-a-i-i-r-s i cannot remember what the acronym stands for in this moment um, but if you look up emptying the jug or the empty jug technique uh, you will find this exercise when we think about you know the metaphor bottling up your emotions um, the exercise sort of imagines that when you bottle things up they don't all sort of mesh together in like a like a jambalaya type of deal right that they actually separate kind of into layers um, and it's cultural based on how you express things um, but if we were to think about western culture if you you know if you sort of blow your top right if you kind of lose control of your emotions and i'm using air quotes for that um the first thing to come out is typically anger right so when you lose your composure right that the first thing that's probably going to come out is something in the range of anger whatever you've got in there and depending on what the intensity was like inside that bottle when you shake it up and the lid pops off it can be some really just nasty gnarly stuff um and then if you're willing to or able to be with the anger right and not just like let it stay there but actually move through it and allow that person to express their anger of course set the boundaries that you need to around your physical safety because we've learned to equate anger with violence and they're very different experiences the next thing that starts to come out is sadness right so the first thing mad and then sad and if we are able to support and be with people through their sadness they actually start to talk about what they're afraid of their fears fear is always absolutely it's always in there right we're the heat rises but the yeah, fear just sits. it sits right there because we're wired for survival and part of the ways that we track survival not just our physical safety but also our relational emotional safety so as you know you did this thing that made me mad right and as we make space right sometimes the tears start to come out or they talk about how right how hurt they were about this experience because anger is a protective emotion that's why it comes up first right and if we're able to be with someone in a fearful state we actually make room for almost like those sweet dregs at the bottom right some of that relief or happy or gladness or calm right and so if you've ever gone through like a high conflict conversation with someone but at the end of it you felt you just felt better you felt like oh yeah that went really well that you often had the space to go through that full process but we're so guarded and defended that all we get is that protective defensive anger and i i experience your anger towards me as an attack and so i'm more defensive and vice versa and it's fascinating for me as a therapist and also as a middle child to just like watch the world <laughs> right i'm i am the scary trifecta gemini middle child millennial um and they can't run away because they've closed all the doors in here, um, right? But just acknowledging as, as I watch and listen to so many conflicts, I hear people desperate to like share their emotional experiences and just be just like received. 
half the time we don't actually care if anyone agrees right although it's an easy way to sort of end a conversation but most people are actually just trying to communicate a feeling and to have that be affirmed and as our defensive anger comes up because you speaking your truth somehow feels like an attack on my experience and as i try to push for vulnerability with you you're also reacting in a way that is feeling like my expression of vulnerability is limiting your expression of vulnerability and we just end up in this right very superficial conversation and if you ever end up in a in an argument with someone and at the end of it you don't remember what you said and you don't actually remember what they said except for the things that made you mad right you actually weren't sharing right that that wasn't a, a process right there there wasn't any empathy there there wasn't any real vulnerability there right it was just reacting and it's it's because you're emptying what's at the top of the jar yeah and you don't even get to be empty it's almost like if you say okay i'm going to be open and so you take the the lid off the top of the bottle and then you put your thumb on it <laughs> and just keep Shake shaking it up. it up right and so yeah little bits of foam come out here and there but you never actually got to have the process of really expressing and releasing and yes there are skills that help you be able to communicate more clearly right and to you know divorce some of the more triggering parts of language we have actually very violent language right our language is tends to incite reactions from folks a lot of the time when we're actually trying to be vulnerable but because we don't have a practice of it we're clumsy right so do you have to begin at the top is there a way and i wish i had an hour to unpack this with yeah. you, maybe another time mm. is there a way to break through and get to the good stuff or do many of us need to release that anger depending on our our life circumstances the way we experience depression the history and the relationship yeah. And, and this is this is part of why I talk so much about going through rather than getting over, right? That while it would be, you know, more convenient for us to just skip to the nice part, right? Or the more tender part. Um, we don't we don't actually have the safety in most of our relationships to trust that I can actually peel back all of these layers with you and, and actually be held and received. And there is a response that is needed at, at each level, right? That at anger, right, we need accountability. Right. I need to know that you saw the boundary that was crossed so I can right so I can stop defending it. Right. And right. and that's really a reminder that if your partner always seems angry and always seems to be blowing their lid for you to consider your role. Absolutely. In their feeling of safety to get at the deeper conversations yeah. because we are always looking at the way our partner responds, their their deficits in communication when in fact oftentimes it's the way we receive information or the way we respond to information and that doesn't mean you're responsible for no. their behavior but it does mean that they are feeling a certain way in the context of this yeah. relationship you are always accountable to the process right i can't m make you be better at resolving your anger when you are angry right i can be accountable to the things that i've done that to contribute to you feeling angry, right? And I'm also responsible, if I'm trying to communicate a feeling to you, it is actually my responsibility to do my best to translate my natural way of communicating to something that I believe could be received by you, right? My partner and I don't have the same first language, mm -hmm. right? So even though I also speak French, right? That he uh, learned English as his third language, 
right so whereas english is my first right and so if i'm trying to communicate something really really sensitive and delicate even though my best fluency is in english i might try in french because i know he will receive that better and it feels like a lot of extra labor and it can feel frustrating and you don't have to do it and it is an opportunity if you're saying i i really do want to be received and seen by this person as they work to learn my language, I also am responsible for the work that I do to meet them also. And you're speaking about languages specifically with your partner, but you're speaking metaphorically yes. for folks who only speak one yes, language. Yes, yes, right. So if, if there is a way that I tend to communicate my sadness, mm-hmm. right, that I'm actually responsible for teaching my partner that about me, right? And so we actually don't get the, the opportunity to just skip into like, let's just all kumbayans and talk about the sadness right? right because as i try and express my sadness if you don't if you're not getting that from me if you're not hearing that from me i could i could be as vulnerable as i feel like i can or know how to be and we're still missing each other and so there there we can continue to build skill in these relationships and seeing and hearing each other but i like the emptying the jug technique as an opportunity for folks to just have a framework and so the exercise itself is really just to two partners say hey you know can we check in you know i'd like to empty the jug with you are you game for that yes right we have consent one person is the speaker the other person is the listener the listener asks the question right what are you mad about the other person just gets to just dump it all out and they can say as much or as little about all of the things that they're mad about maybe they're not mad about anything they're nothing Right? What are you sad about? What are you scared about? What are you relieved or glad about? And just let the person just just dump, just dump. And the listener does not get to pick up anything and ask questions about it. If they have a question, they actually have to save it for a separate conversation. Hey, yesterday you said that you were mad about blah blah. Can I can can we talk a little bit more about that? Right? And then we right, we switch roles, right? So I got to empty the jug, you got to empty the jug. We're not walking around sort of full and carrying all this muck. We ask permission so I'm not dumping on you and I don't have to feel like I have to be, you know, the way for me to support you is to be like tough and like neutral, right? We actually feel most supported by people who will walk alongside us rather than people who are just like stoic and perfect. How long do you typically um, allocate? for an emptying of the jug. Like, do you oh, recommend that people do it though for five minutes just so that it doesn't ramble on forever? Oh or? no, however, however long it takes. So if we do it in a session, sometimes it's the whole session. But I like the idea of even like, this is so great in terms of an activity that I can do today or that we can do today, but not responding. Do you recommend that people don't respond to the emptying of the jug until the following day, the partner that's listening? Like, is what's the time mm-hmm. that you should wait before you address those things that were brought up? So the, that can be negotiated amongst you, right? That we all will have our own kind of readiness to pick up any individual item. And there are some things that we actually are only able to share if I know I don't have to go deeper into this right now. Right. Because we do have things that are still really alive and really tender that maybe I'm not really ready to workshop, but I want you to know about it. And so even just the asking like, hey, you even even when it's over, over, you know, it really stood out to me that you said that you're angry about, you know, the way your boss treated you at work. I'd, I'd like to talk about that more. Is there a time 
we could protect for that, right? And the person gets the opportunity to say, like, actually, no, I'm, I'm not interested in talking more about that, right? Or, yeah, can we talk about it tomorrow? Or, yeah, let me go get some water and we can talk about it now. You're being proactive about things. I love that. And I, I think, you know, for me, this goes back to what you said about going, you know, I need to, even my language, I need to get over this, mm-hmm. right? That's what I want to do. Something has happened in my life that I need to get over. I need to, right? I don't need to get through it. I need to get over it. Whereas, you know, this is an activity that I can take on today with my partner and I can express all of these things. And then you can sit, Jess can sit there and take however long, you know, we predetermine in advance, whether it's an hour or a day to actually digest that. And before, because my knee jerk response to everything is I'm going to respond immediately and I'm probably not going to think about it because the words just go out of my mouth. (laughs) And then I may actually start an argument. Um, whereas if Jess empties the jug, I take an hour or a day to just let it sit and think about these things. I can then come back with your superpower of empathy, hmm. which I may not have been able to come back with had it been uh, an immediate back and forth interaction. And I, I also appreciate that you don't have to share everything. And I think that's an erroneous belief in many mm-hmm. relationships that if you have a happy relationship, if you're intimate, you share everything. And that's not always the case. Part of your sharing might be boundaries, that that's not something I want to discuss. Yes, I'm willing to admit that it's bothering me because I'd like to check in with you and give you some context as to why I might be behaving the way I am or feeling the way I am. But it's not something I want to discuss. You don't have to share everything with your partner. Now, I wish we could talk for so much longer. I'm hypnotized by listening to you, but we we are out of time. And I want to say thank you so mm. much. People can book you to speak and they can find out more about your work on your website. Yes. Yeah. My website is my full name. It's shadeenfrancis.com. Um, the new thing that I'm trying that all the other millennials have been doing for the last six to eight years uh, is that when I have things upcoming, I'm putting them on social media. <laughs> that apparently is this new thing that's happening out in the world. The social media. <laughs> the the medias where so. people go to be social. Uh, and so if you're looking for me on social, uh, the two platforms that I'm existing on currently are Twitter and Instagram. And you will also find me at my name on both of those platforms. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for having me. It was a really fun conversation. And thank you to you for listening. Hopefully you're feeling ready to open up. And if you are sexually active, once again, shout out to our sponsor, letsgetcheck.com. They offer at-home STI testing. They mail you the kit. There's a prepaid envelope. You mail it all back. And they they test for other things as well, testosterone and other hormone levels. So check them out, letsgetcheck.com. And of course, the code to save is Dr. Jess. Wherever you're at, I hope you're having a great one. We'll be back next week. Hang in there, folks. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.